Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Dasgupta, a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Hi, and welcome to The Dr. Rod Show. And what is The Dr. Rod Show? It's about being yourself. It's not only about medicine. It's about addressing all things that pertain to wellness, good health. And of course, right now, we cannot skirt around the issues of COVID-19, so I'm very excited. And what makes me so happy about this show in particular? You know, I don't get to talk a lot about what are my passions as a doctor. And one of my passions is taking care of sarcoid patients. Sarcoidosis is my jam. And I actually run a sarcoid clinic here at USC. And I love being part of this Life and Breath Foundation. Sean, who's the CEO of this, is just an amazing person and allowed me to do this. So it's the best of both worlds. It's a Dr. Rod show, which yay, I love. And I get to talk about sarcoid and COVID-19. So with that being said, Sean, back to you. Well, Dr. Raj, thank you very much. We're happy to be a, a part of your uh, podcast this uh, evening. And uh, we have a couple things on tap for our topics this evening. We're going to go through and talk a little bit about vaccines, knowing that COVID-19 has really done something to us as we have navigated the last 12 months, nine months uh, out there. So we're going to get into a really nice discussion um, on the vaccines and we've been able to get some of your questions uh, pertaining to that, pertaining to COVID-19, and uh, especially those of our patients that have sarcoidosis. We're also going to have some discussion on how this uh, may affect you. Again, the Life and Breath Foundation uh, was started in 1996. Our uh, primary goals are to offer our sarcoidosis community effective tools to track their journey, decipher medical issues, and maximize the quality of life of our patients to provide a nurturing environment for those affected with sarcoidosis to share their experiences. And lastly, to build more awareness within our medical community to help combat this chronic disease. Uh, so if we could start, uh, let's start with exactly what is a vaccine? John, great first question. You know, so when we think about vaccines, I mean, how do I put it this way? Is that we give individuals parts of a bacteria, parts of a virus, parts of an infection. And what we do is that we let the patients actually create their own antibodies. So with that being said, let me take a step back because I always feel it's always hard to describe things. So let's talk about immunity. That's the real answer. Immunity has two branches, active and passive. When we talk about active immunity, there's two ways to get active immunity. One is that you're infected with some kind of bug and you develop antibodies. The other type of active immunity is this vaccination. And what are vaccinations? You give parts of those bacteria, parts of those virus. Usually uh, those parts are inactive or very, very weak. And you make your immune system work. You make them make those antibodies. Now, remember when we talk about vaccines, they are not antibiotics. They do not treat anything. So, I mean, when we talk about vaccines, what vaccines are doing is telling you that 
if you get infected by that virus or that bacteria, that you know what, Sean, you're not going to die, that you will get just milder symptoms at time. And let me just compare that to the other type of immunity, which we call passive. Passive immunity just means that, you know what, I'm just going to give you antibodies against coronavirus. And there are these what we call monoclonal antibodies out there, which your immune system is doing nothing. It's actually being lazy. I'm just giving you the antibodies. And they are FDA approved for a treatment of certain people who have COVID-19. So those are traditionally what vaccines are. They're giving parts of a bacteria or virus to let your immune system work and make those antibodies. Fantastic. Um, so with that said, what is the COVID vaccine? Of course, everything has to be different when it comes to COVID, right? So we're talking about a new technology. The technology we're using for the COVID vaccines are right now what we call messenger RNA vaccines. Maybe if we have time, I'll talk about the other type, which is called a viral vector vaccine. But what are messenger RNA vaccines? Well, basically, it's targeting a very specific protein on the surface of coronavirus. It's called the spike protein. Now, remember, corona, the word means crown. So it's actually going to be the spikes on the surface that form that crown. So when you give a messenger RNA vaccine, what happens is that my own body will use the messenger RNA as a blueprint, and I will make antibodies against that spike protein because it's those spike proteins that allow the coronavirus to get into our cells and cause all that damage. So right now, there are two messenger RNA vaccines that are approved that are out there. One is the Pfizer vaccine and the other is the Moderna vaccine. Awesome. And um, how do they differentiate? Okay. Uh, you're, you know. you're putting me on the spot right there. So, so when we talk about these two vaccines, let me just say they're both messenger RNA vaccines. They both are targeting that spike protein I mentioned about, and they both are two shots. So when you take the Pfizer shot, you have to do the second shot around uh, 21 days later. If you get the Moderna vaccine, you get the second shot about 28 days later. And both shot and both vaccines were actually studied in a variety of races, which I really, really like. And it's also studied in both genders, which is really, really good. And both vaccines are 95% efficacious. So when people ask me, Dr. Raj, which vaccine I should take, I look them in the eyes and say, it doesn't matter. Just take the vaccine. <laughs> but what are going to be uh, some of the differences about it is that, you know, the Pfizer vaccine, I mean, it has to be stored in freezing temperature. And that's why usually university settings like a USC could have the technology to store it there. The Moderna vaccine could be in your generic freezer. So it's more of a community vaccine. So I could see them getting it more out to the community. Both vaccines were not studied in pregnant women. I just want to let you know that. And both vaccines were not studied in pediatrics. If you want to know when can you get the Pfizer vaccine, it's for 16 years of age and older. For the Moderna vaccine, 18 years of age and older. And those are the main differences. Great question, Sean. Thank you for that. That was good. <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You did a fantastic job. I'm going to, I'm going to throw another one, another curveball. Okay. I've heard that there is a one-time vaccine out there um, by Johnson and Johnson. Could you have, do you have any information there, how that one works and, and especially in comparison to the two you just mentioned? Now, now, Sean, I didn't know you're going to be studying for this interview. That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, 
You're right. So remember when we're talking about the different types of vaccines for COVID-19, I said on one side, we have messenger RNA vaccines. There is another technology called a viral vector vaccine. So bear with me. A viral vector vaccine, that's a tongue twister, um, is basically using a virus that doesn't really make us feel sick. And in fact, I believe they're using a virus called adenovirus. And this adenovirus, even though humans can get it, they're using one that was transferred in chimps, if I heard correctly. And what happens is we use this virus uh, and we put the messenger RNA inside the virus and we send it in. So it becomes a viral vector. And there are actually two pharmaceutical companies, I believe, that are really taking the forefront to come up with these viral vector vaccines. On one side, it's going to be AstraZeneca. And they've been teaming up with Oxford University, which is in the UK. And in fact, I'm sure if you throw on some CNN or BBC, they're actually giving that vaccine out in the UK right now. But that is a two-dose vaccine. So the other company is actually, like you said, Johnson and Johnson. And this is a, such a hot topic because not only are they using this viral vector vaccine, their claim to fame is you could only have to give it once. Mm. Now, just being a clinician, that just sounds great because of the fact that, I mean, what about compliance? My patients sometimes can't take their nightly meds and to come back and take another vaccine in 21 days or 28 days and put it on the clock and getting there, it's a lot. So if you can get the job done in one shot, I'm all on board. And some of the initial data for that vaccine are throwing out numbers like 90, 95% efficacy, which are the numbers that we're getting when we talk about the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine itself. And another thing that I heard about, and this is a lot of you know hearsay, but I heard that the vaccine uh, doesn't have to really be stored at any crazy temperature. You know what I mean? And that is great. So once again, easy to distribute. And also, I heard the shelf life of this vaccine is is much much longer because you know when we talk about Pfizer vaccines and Moderna vaccines, once you crack them open and you and you thaw them out, there's a stopwatch on how long you have to inject someone. So the longer you have, the better it is. I'm not telling anyone out there to go buy Johnson & Johnson stock, but I'm just saying, keep an eye on it. Uh, it's going to be a really good thing for all of us to have more options for vaccines. Awesome. Is, are there any concerns with um, sarcoidosis patients with getting the vaccine? This is, um, this is the question I've been waiting for. So, of course, you know, I mean, when we talk about my beloved sarcoidosis patients, there is very limited concern. In fact, I want you to think about, I need the vaccine. I need the vaccine. Because we know that sarcoid affects every organ in the body. I know you know that. But what is that organ that affects the most? It's got to be the lungs, you know. And most of my sarcoid patients have lung involvement. And we know COVID, you know, COVID and sarcoid almost, they go to the same school. This COVID could affect every organ in the body, especially the lungs. So the answer is, is that no matter what sarcoid you have, you're going to be at a little disadvantage if you get COVID-19 because you got that initial inflammation and damage in your lungs. So no matter, you know, what medications you're going to be on, no matter how much ugh, prednisone you're on, no matter how sick you're going to be, you want to get that vaccine. Now, remember, the COVID vaccine is a either it's right now it's a messenger RNA vaccine. And that's good because we're giving you no parts of the virus. It's not a live virus. It's not a partially alive virus. It's giving you messenger RNA. So you cannot get COVID from getting that vaccine. Now, 
Sean, bear with me. I just want to make sure I, I mentioned this. When we talk about sarcoid patients, you guys are on so many medications. You know, there is a, a methotrexate, there's a hydroxychloroquine, there's a Celsep, an Imuran. There's one medication that doesn't worry me, but I think this is the hottest topic in the whole world. And you, you hear it from me. Has anyone heard of a drug called rituximab? Someone out there is going to call me on my cell phone or call you, Sean, but rituximab is not the most common drug I use with sarcoid patients. It's kind of like a second or third line drug, but we do use it. Uh, rituximab is used in the hematological world for certain uh, disorders. It's used in the rheumatological world for other things. And how does it work? It works against B cells. So what does it mean if you work against B cells? B cells actually make antibodies. So I'm going back to basic science. I apologize. You know, there's T cells and there's B cells. B cells make antibodies. So if, imagine this. If you're on a drug that blocks the B cells, that means you're not making antibodies. So if I give you a shot of a vaccine, I don't care what vaccine I give you. If I'm blocking your B cells, you're not making antibodies. And that's the only time, I'm not saying that means you can't get the vaccine, but you're not going to get the benefit from it because you're on a medication that blocks the antibodies. So everyone's going to ask me, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? The answer is we don't know just yet because, you know, obviously sarcoid is an orphan disease. Rituximab is not what most people are going to be on. And we're trying to get the data of what to do. So, of course, um, I did some research before coming on here and talked to other individuals. So, number one, if you're on rituximab, talk to your doctor. You don't need to stop the medication, but maybe we could think about the timing. It's usually given every six months. And maybe what we can do is try to get you the vaccine right before your next dose. So, the drug is almost out of your body. Then you can make the antibodies, then think about dosing it again. Or what my wife does, because you know, I always love my wife. She's the rheumatologist. She may actually uh, put her patients on a course of steroids for a while to take off the um, rituximab, get the vaccine going, make the antibodies, and then think about going back on the rituximab. So that's the only medication that, you know, it doesn't prevent you from getting the vaccine, but it may not work. Um, people are going to ask me, well, how do I know if it works? Well, you know, in a perfect world, if everyone had access to every testing, you want to test for the antibody after you get the vaccine, and hopefully you will be positive for the antibody. Fantastic. Wow. That was a long one. That was a that long, was a long one. one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a, a question that came up that I wanted to share with you. Uh, we have a patient that wants to know, are there any side effects that could come up with people that have allergies? Oh, wow. Of course, this is a, a great question and a very timely question. So right now, we know from the studies that we had, and I believe when they were initially doing the studies on the Pfizer vaccine, and they were doing studies on the Moderna, there were some individuals in the UK, in the United Kingdom, that developed anaphylaxis when they got some of these vaccine doses. And I think that really made it out on the news and the media extensively. And, you know, I think it did kind of cause a little panic, you know, about this. And the truth is, is that when you're giving out vaccines in the hundreds hundreds of thousands. When we're giving vaccines out in the millions, I mean, having two cases of anaphylaxis, I mean, I hate to say it, it's expected. And number one, the individuals who had anaphylaxis, they're doing good. So I want you to know that. And I don't want to downplay anaphylaxis because I am a critical care doctor and anaphylaxis means very low blood pressure, even trouble breathing. And, and it, it definitely is scary. But there was a study in 2015 in the United States, and it actually looked at 
all vaccines, all vaccines that we were giving and specifically looked at the incidence of anaphylaxis. And you know what it found out? The incidence of anaphylaxis is like one in a million. So, you know, I would not let these cases prevent you from getting the vaccine, but there is a huge but. We still need to study this vaccine to talk about these allergic reactions. What part of the vaccine, what part of the solution, why are we allergic to it? But if you tell me right now, I carry an EpiPen, I'm allergic to shellfish, I was allergic to the flu shot. You know what, Raj? What? I'm just allergic. I'm just an allergic person. No, I would not get the vaccine if you have a lot of allergies at this point, because I, I do worry about you. And that's probably how I would approach it for those who ask about allergies in the vaccine. Gotcha. Very good. Very good. I know. It's, I feel like I'm getting graded after each one. <laughs> like like, a, like a, a lever that goes up and down. <laughs> I, I think you're doing very well. Uh, it's being well received. And again, we appreciate you taking the time uh, to really help educate. Um, one question came in, uh, will the vaccine be effective in preventing other variations of COVID-19? Well, it seems like everyone who's watching today really has a CNN on all the time because they know exactly <laughs> what to ask. Right on top of it, right? <laughs> so we're talking about these uh, these variants are going to be out there. And the, the, the truth is that if you ask me in kind of like, you know, broad strokes, am I happy there's a variant out there? Of course I'm not. But the reason why there's variants right now is because we as a country are not doing our job. And what's our job is to actually get that herd immunity, to get this virus under control. And I'm blaming myself. I'm blaming everyone, you know, because we know what it, what we need to do. We need to do the big three, good hand hygiene, social distancing, wearing the mask, you know, and we're, and even though we think we're doing it, we're not, we're still, people are still traveling and having social get togethers. I'm not judging. I'm just saying. And that's why I know it's getting worse and worse and worse. And it's not a surprise. When is it getting worse? Um, after Thanksgiving, uh, after Christmas, uh, after New Year's, in the winter months, when we get together during family events. I mean, it's a setup. You know, it's not a coincidence that we're shooting up. And the more we don't control this virus, the more it spreads, the more variations you're going to get. This is just a natural course of a virus. You're going to get the word. I'll say the word mutations. You know what I mean? That's what happens. And the good news, I guess there is good news, is that from the studies I heard so far, that this new variant that we're talking about, and let's be even more specific, there's more than one variant out there. I don't want to be Debbie Downer and make everyone cry, but there's more than one variant. You know, the variant that most people ask me about is the UK variant. And there actually is a new variant now that they just found in Ohio, which is scary. And the, how do they know that is because they're now genotyping these viruses to see exactly what is exactly is the, is the fingerprints of each virus. So the UK variant, which is the first one we were worried about while we have all these travel bans from other countries coming in, actually didn't show to be more deadlier than what we have. It's more easily infectious. I mean, I guess that's better. It's, I mean, it's scary. And this is why if you have a virus variant that's more infectious, well, then now more than ever, it's not time to like, let's reopen this and this and let's get together. I mean, it sucks. I mean, having all this isolation stinks more than anything, but this is what's going to happen if it's more contagious. If you got to wear the mask, got to staple that mask on us and wear those gloves and social distance, that's only going to do it. But I know that Pfizer has now been testing the, their vaccine on the UK variant, 
and it shows that it's so far effective. So I'll, I could say that with good honesty. I don't know what the Moderna data is, but I know they are going to be testing it on the UK variant. But um, like I said, there are other variants out there. They're here in the States. And so once again, you know, the only way we're going to stop getting these mutations is by flattening the curve and actually really, you know, taking to heart what I just said, good hand hygiene, social distancing, wearing the mask. Dr. Raj, thank you very much. It, it just seems like we have an abundance amount of uh, participants that are coming in today. They have just keep blowing this thing up and we're so happy that people are coming in to listen to you. That's great. No, I love it. I love it. <laughs> they are utilizing the, the Q&A chat feature to be able to uh, supply these questions and everything. So folks out there, keep it coming. We're glad you're participating and engaged. Uh, Richard has a question pertaining to the Pfizer vaccine. He says he's going to get it on Saturday uh, in Michigan, actually across from the Pfizer plant. And he wants to know how soon after the second dose would it be safe to travel, let's say, by SUV to Colorado to see the grandkids? <laughs> I love that question. So, you know, uh, Richard, I actually did a lot of my training in Michigan. Uh, I did my sleep medicine fellowship in Henry Ford. I was uh, did my some of my residency in Grand Rapids. I know where Kalamazoo is. So, oh, good for you, Richard. <laughs> okay. So, anyways, um, so the answer is this: when we talk about both vaccine, I mean vaccine. Let's talk about the Pfizer vaccines. There's two doses. They are looking at the data about the Pfizer vaccine and have actually shown that even after the first dose, you give it maybe a week or so, you will start making some antibodies. By all means, I'm not saying stop there, but I just wanted everyone to realize that it's imperative that you even get your first dose of the vaccine. It's imperative you get your first dose and you can get some pr protection off that. So for the Pfizer vaccine, the one I got, the one Richard's getting, you get the second dose 21 days later. Then after the second dose, he's asking when is it safe when to get the antibodies. I'm going to answer that personally. So what happened was, is that here at USC, one of my partners uh, is doing a research study and um, they got uh, a grant to do uh, antibody testing. They got these little kits where they stuck my finger. And I, I think my partner didn't like me because just jabbed me in that finger. I'm like, why does this hurt so much? You know, but um, this antibody test is, is kind of like a yes or no. It's not a quantitative antibody. So everyone's going to ask me, what do you mean by quantitative antibody? I mean, that quantitative tells me how many of the antibodies you have. The test right now is just a yes or no answer. And that's what scares me. You know what I mean? Is that if your antibody test is positive, once if you only have one antibody, you know what I mean? That doesn't mean you're good. If you are having abundance of antibodies, then that's a whole different story. Uh, but what I can say is that I took the test around maybe a week after I took the second dose and I know I was negative. How do I know? Because part of my partner's study, she pricked me really hard before I got the vaccine and I was negative. So I knew I was negative before. So it really was a great feeling when I saw the positive result. It makes you feel confident. It makes you feel safe. It's a great feeling, everyone. So get the vaccine, but I am making antibodies. So the answer to you, Richard, is that, you know, remember, a vaccine still means you can get the uh, COVID-19. You can get coronavirus. A vaccine still means you can pass it on to others. All a vaccine does is give you those antibodies. So remember, just because you're vaccinated, you're protected, you won't end up on the ventilator. You won't see me in the medical ICU, but you could still get it and transmit it. 
Don't forget that. And that's why I love your question probably more than any other question, because what is the role of a vaccine? The role of a vaccine, simply put, is please don't let me die. That's the role of a vaccine. But you could still get COVID-19. You could still have mild symptoms. You could still pass it on. So you always have to put in perspective, I mean, why are you traveling? Why are you going there? And you could still pass it. And anyone who gets a vaccine, you know what I'm going to say? You still have to do the big three. What are those big three? Good hand hygiene, social distancing, wearing the mask. Awesome. Follow-up question. You got Richard going now. He's Richard pumped. He's, he's, he's almost there with the grandkids. So <laughs> is, he's a he's also a type two diabetic. Oh, sorry, Richard. So, will the vaccine spike his levels? No. So if we're uh, if we're talking about his glucose levels, his hemoglobin A1C, the answer is no. You know, I mean, I think that this tells me you are my target audience. You know, if you're a type two diabetic, you know, if you're like me who could lose a little weight, I, I think that you need to get the vaccine. And I'll just say a little tidbit. You know, I've been in the ICU quite a bit uh, here at USC County and the private side at Keck, and you know, I would say that the people that I've noticed get the worst outcomes when it comes to COVID it's no joke. It's minorities. I mean, they get it the worst and it makes me tear up all the time. And number two, overweight. So I'm going to start pointing fingers. If you're an overweight minority out there, do something about it because I'm not writing up a research paper. This is just my observations that I've seen in there. And hopefully this is going to provide you good motivation to get the vaccine and stay in shape and don't get that, uh, what do they call it? The the COVID-19 pounds. Don't get the (laughs) COVID-19. Awesome. Great, great things. Okay. And that's it, Dr. Rod Show for part one. And we'll be back in two weeks to find out some more important information and continue with our interview. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. The producers for this show are Christopher Breidigan and Madison Linden. The executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. <laughs>